In this podcast, I spoke with Joel Revel, founder and CEO of Two Ocean Trust, on its headline-making no-action letter from the Wyoming Division of Banking, recognizing it as a qualified custodian for digital assets under the Advisors Act. Although the designation is more significant as it relates to custodying digital assets that are securities, it is a first of its kind for a state charter trust and provides greater regulatory clarity for Two Ocean Trust under Wyoming's fairly developed digital asset laws, particularly around custody. The clarity comes with greater supervision for Two Ocean Trust, and I talk with Joel about why that is embraced by them, as well as what makes Wyoming a favorable jurisdiction for combining a traditional and digital asset portfolio focus in their investment advisory business. At the time of this interview, we knew that the Division of Banking had notified the SEC about the no-action letter. And indeed, shortly after this interview, SEC's Division of Investment Management released a public statement on the no-action letter and invited the industry to comment on the application of the custody rule to digital assets and specifically as to how it relates to the definition of qualified custodians under the rule. I hope you find this episode as intriguing as I did. Welcome to The Encrypted Economy, a weekly podcast featuring discussions exploring the business, laws, regulation, and security relating to digital assets and data. I'm Eric Hess, your host and founder of Hess Legal Counsel. I'm really excited to be joined by Joe Revel of Two Oceans Trust today. If you haven't heard, Two Oceans Trust was recently granted a no-action letter from Wyoming's Division of Banking, recognizing it as a qualified custodian for digital assets. And to understand that significance, it's important to understand that Wyoming has the most progressive and comprehensive regulatory framework for digital assets in the U.S. It's tried hard to position itself not only as a crypto-friendly jurisdiction, but also as crypto-trustworthy. But there's more to the story, and for that, I'm really glad that Joel has taken some time here to share that with us today. So why don't we get started with your background and what brought you to Wyoming, Joel? Yeah, thanks, Eric. Uh, great to be great to be chatting with you. My background is I'm, I'm originally from Wyoming. I grew up here. I spent 25 years out of the state. My work experience began at J.P. Morgan in New York in the investment banking program in the 90s. I was in banking for a number of years, and then I transitioned to institutional investment management in 2004, started as an analyst, eventually was a portfolio manager, most recently was a portfolio manager with Citadel. In 2017, returned back to my home state of Wyoming and began working on this idea of of Two Ocean Trust. I also sit on the select committee of the Wyoming legislature focused on blockchain, financial technology, and, and digital innovation. I'm a gubernatorial appointee and liaison to, to that committee. So a little bit about why Wyoming, it, it, why we chose Wyoming to, to set up to Ocean Trust, a kind of a confluence of opportunities in the wealth management industry and specifically to Wyoming that, that led, to the, led to the idea and, and led us to Wyoming. But there's some great qualities and advantages to being in Wyoming. It's the uh, lowest, Wyoming has the lowest overall tax burden in the U.S. That makes Wyoming a top situs for trust and, and related assets. Wyoming residents pay no state income or, or capital gains tax, no gift or estate tax. And from an estate 
management and estate planning perspective, this benefit can be extended to non-residents of Wyoming if you're using uh, some sophisticated planning, specifically Wyoming non-grantor trusts. Wyoming, in in terms of those low taxes too, it's you have to think about the durability of those low tax rates. Wyoming has always been a fiscally conservative state. The Wyoming legislature is required by constitution to pass a balanced budget and has accumulated over the last five decades uh, a surplus of $22 billion, which is in a in a sovereign fund. Wyoming also has strong privacy and creditor protection laws, among the best LLC laws in, in the U.S., and, and among the best trust laws in the U.S., which, which these sort of modern and flexible trust, trust laws allow folks to maximize the benefit of using trust to, to manage their wealth. And then the, the last piece, which is uh, probably most interesting to, to your listeners, is the digital asset legal framework in Wyoming. The Wyoming legislature has now, over the past three legislative sessions, passed 20 laws in total that address blockchain and digital assets. It is the only state with a comprehensive legal and, and now regulatory framework to address digital assets, the only state to clarify the legal status of digital assets as property within our uniform commercial code. And so that makes, in, in our opinion, Wyoming the preeminent jurisdiction in which to custody and manage your digital assets. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of other people would agree with you on that. And there's certainly a lot to the digital asset story in Wyoming. So it's basically that whole regulatory framework for investors and trust formation. You know, we were talking a bit about your being on the legislative committee for crypto, and I know you've been engaged with many in the space on crypto. What was your experience specifically in the Wyoming crypto community and with the legislators? And what brought you here specifically with regards to digital assets? Yeah, it really started as a curiosity, and I was following the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force from from their formation and, and in the early meetings, sitting in on what were open to the public meetings here in Wyoming. And the original Blockchain Task Force, which, which included state senators, state representatives, and then uh, private sector liaisons, uh, such as Caitlin Long and Matt Kaufman and others, and it was sort of through watching the formation of this legal framework that I grew increasingly interested in building a business that, that would be part of it or could take advantage of, of their good work. It is, a, it is a, an opportunity that would not be possible without some very forward-thinking regulators here in the state of Wyoming. Our, our bank commissioner, Albert Forkner, and his general counsel, Chris Land, as well as the, the staff there, have helped shape these laws. But now, kind of importantly, they're beginning to pick up the ball and run with it from a regulatory perspective. Their probably most important development that, that you'll be hearing more about in the next two to three weeks will be a regulatory manual, a compliance manual that uh, bank examiners, as well as those of us who are being examined, will have will have access to, and I I think we'll begin to set standards within the industry that are really important in the the development of the industry and ultimately the the adoption of this asset class by investors. 
I can only imagine looking back at it now how exciting it must have been to be part of that uh, pioneering group in Wyoming. And it's really good to hear that uh, more is coming down the road in Wyoming. I think uh, a lot of people are following what's going on in Wyoming and hoping it, it lends itself a bit to adoption by other states. Can you talk a little bit more about Two Oceans Trust and its vision? It's a uh, wealth management platform across traditional and digital assets. So when we formed the company, the, the purpose was to take advantage of some of those benefits of Wyoming that I mentioned to you and bring those advantages to our clients who are both uh, international and domestic clients and providing trust services. Wyoming is also, also known for a unique feature within, within our trust statutes, which is a Wyoming private trust company which allows families to have a more control and involvement in, in the management of the, of the family trusts. And then on the investment side as well, we provide both discretionary and non-discretionary investment services. So ranging from custody and trade execution across to investment strategies and separately managed accounts for our clients. It, it is coming from this traditional investment and trust background that we've this week added a new platform, which is essentially delivering the same services with the same sort of legal clarity and regulatory oversight within this exciting new asset class of digital assets. Our client base that, that we're delivering this to is high net worth individuals, family offices, and then on the sort of institutional side or, or investment advisor side, multifamily offices and, and RIAs who want to deliver these services to their clients. Yeah, your business model kind of underscores why Wyoming is more than just a crypto story for the rest of the country, but it's also got some very favorable laws that benefit investors and family offices. You know, I think you're going to see a lot of businesses starting to explore relocating to Wyoming to take advantage of its, its favorable laws. Let's shift a bit from the traditional focus of Two Ocean Trust to how this no action letter and your confirmation as a qualified custodian fits into its broader vision. Well, so qualified custody is a standard by which I think all investors should expect to have their assets kept. There is, there, there is no legal requirement that a, an individual or, or retail or high net worth investor have their assets held in, in any custody, let alone qualified custody. But, but it's a standard that is, is expected and is normal course within traditional digital assets. And I think that the digital asset market is evolving in that same direction. Where it gets even more interesting is if you're an investment advisor, an RIA, et cetera, and under the Advisors Act, these folks are required to hold client assets with a third-party qualified custodian. Now, the SEC regulates investment advisors. The SEC defines what a qualified custodian is, and that's the SEC custody rule. But what we sought to do was seek clarity from, from our regulator, who is the Wyoming Division of Banking. So, so the SEC regulates the investment advisors. They provide the definition of qualified custody. But, but for, for us and for banks and, and other trust companies, we look for relief, no action relief, 
from our regulator who, if, if you're a, a national bank, that's the OCC is the, is the bank regulator. If you're a state bank or state chartered trust company, then it's the state banking regulator. So what we received was a, a no action letter from our regulator, the Wyoming Division of Banking, stating that we, we may provide custody for both traditional and digital assets and that they would not take action against us if we were to hold ourselves out to the public as a qualified custodian. That doesn't mean that an investment advisor still doesn't need to make sure that they've done their homework and, and, and they're regulated by the SEC, but it, our ability to provide an investment advisor, such as an RIA, with this no action letter should give them an additional level of comfort and some very important clarity that they are in fact providing proper, proper custody for client assets under the uh, Advisors Act. Yeah, sounds like a good topic for a blog article for me. How would you differentiate Two Ocean Trust from other traditional wealth advisors? Well, the, the most important differentiation is, is where we sit, which is in Wyoming. So I mentioned earlier on, on, in our conversation, Eric, these benefits of Wyoming. So access to Wyoming's favorable trust laws, low tax burden, privacy, and, and creditor protection laws in, in the context of wealth management is, is a big differentiating factor. And then as you think about digital assets specifically, in addition to this regulatory oversight and, and clarity in the form of the no action letter, there, there is also this raft of laws that provide investor protections that for, for digital asset investors that are really only available at this point in Wyoming. Now, I think that changes over time, but, but you, the, the greatest amount of, of regulatory clarity and legal protection exists if you're an investor in Wyoming or you hold your digital assets in custody in Wyoming. So I think that's a unique benefit of or unique advantage of Two Ocean Trust. Bringing it all together is something that I think is even more interesting potentially for high net worth investors in digital assets. And that is the idea of crypto estate management. What happens to your keys if something happens to you, you, you know, are incapac incapacitated or, or, or die. If you don't have uh, a proper mechanism for those keys to pass to your rightful heirs, that value could be gone. And so the ability to create estate plans and, and even possibly more attractive, put it into uh, uh, non-grantor trusts and add the additional benefits of a trust, avoiding probate, et cetera, as well as the potential state income tax savings. And then you have that mechanism in place. And then in addition, you have a fiduciary who has the knowledge and the capability to pass those keys in the ways that you've, that you've designed onto your rightful heirs. And that's bringing that all together in, in, you know, kind of wrapped up in one regulated frictionless platform that happens to be within the state where you have the greatest legal protection and regulatory clarity. That, that's the kind of real advantage for us. So, Joel, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Certainly, a lot of what Wyoming has achieved and can expect to achieve with regards to digital asset is tied to the regulatory environment. 
What was it like working with Wyoming's Division of Banking? They've been a great partner. They are, one, they're not operating fast and loose and just trying to push Wyoming forward in a sloppy way. What they're doing is working extremely hard to define laws and create regulation that is that is buttoned up. They're they're working carefully to create laws and a regulatory framework that that will jive with the federal regulators as well. So they're, while they are being progressive and, and they are blazing a trail, they're, they're not doing so in an irresponsible way or in a way that where they're going to be getting sideways with, with other regulators. So I, I think that they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for for the hard work and time that they're putting into creating a framework within which this asset class will will gain more clarity and and ultimately adoption by uh, the higher net worth more sophisticated investors and then ultimately institutional investors Jill, so what does that mean from the perspective of a client are they going to be comforted by the no action letter and the extension of the traditional asset framework into digital assets that you offer? Yeah, so that's, it, it's interesting to, from my perspective, to look at the, the client base and the potential client base. It's, it's really a bifurcated client base. On the one hand, you have clients that you might call crypto-native clients who have created their wealth through investments in, in crypto assets and have a very good understanding for the unique characteristics of, of crypto assets, but have not really spent much time thinking about estate planning, trust, tax optimization, the passing of this wealth from generation to generation. And so that there, you know, there's a very interesting opportunity here to kind of further develop the, the market for those clients. On the other hand, you, ha- you have clients who are sophisticated, high net worth individuals, the family offices, and then the, the investment advisors who serve these clients that have not previously been involved in, in the crypto asset market that are now taking a look at it for the first time. But they're coming to this market with the expectation that it, it, they will not participate until they see the same sort of legal clarity, regulatory oversight, uh, trade execution transparency, reporting and tax reporting that, that they already get and expect in traditional asset classes. So, so that's, that's why I think this, the, the advances that we've seen over the last six months to 12 months have been incredibly important for the ultimate adoption of this asset class by these more sophisticated and, and high net worth investors, as well as the, the investment advisors who, who are serving that community. If, if we, Eric, if, I, I think if, if we had launched this platform two years ago, we, we would not have been able to offer the same sort of regulatory clarity, legal protections, or, or even services that, that we're able to offer today. This is really something that has been made possible by the, the developments over the last six to 12 months. 
Joel, when you're talking to investors that are just tipping their toe in the digital assets for the first time, or even RIAs looking to present to their clients for the first time, what's that conversation like? So here, you're, th th these folks that are looking at it for the first time, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And, and I can relate to this personally because I, I was the same. I, you know, I have a traditional investment background, a portfolio manager focused on equities. And as I first looked at this asset class, there's a challenge because it's, it's difficult to ascertain intrinsic value. And I, I can't build a model to value this, this asset class in the same way that I can to value the equity value of, of Amazon or Apple. And so I, I, I think you combine that with the complexity of, of explaining blockchain and digital assets, as well as some of the nefarious uses of, of Bitcoin in the early days, and and you've got a you've got a fairly high hurdle to get over initially, but these at the same time, these investors are growing increasingly wary of what's happening with our economy and how the central the economies globally and how the central banks are responding to that, and what that means for the value of, of the fiat currency that they hold and the cash investments and fixed income investments that are yielding essentially zero. And so they're interested in this asset class. They're interested to understand it. Uh, and then if you, if you can get them past those initial concerns and into a simple discussion of supply versus demand, then they have this sort of aha moment. And, and that is that the supply, at least let's talk about Bitcoin, uh, as, as you and, and I'm sure your listeners all know, that, that, that supply is fixed at 21 million, but it's already decelerating. We've already rolled over on a second derivative basis in terms of the supply of Bitcoin. And then you weigh against that demand. And, and in my opinion, the demand is limited by only two things the creativity of the developers and the applications that they will be developing over time to, to employ this currency and the regulator's ability to open the doors and allow that creativity to, to take place. I think there's a, a significant amount of demand. And when you weigh that against the, this fixed supply and just think about it in those simple terms, this is when those investors, like I said, have that aha moment and, and begin to think about an allocation, uh, a thoughtful and allocation of, of their broader portfolio into this asset class. Yeah, I think when we start to look at the thesis for Bitcoin, it's, it's kind of like a reboot of 2008, 2009 with possibly even greater dollar inflation. So I, I think your clients will be getting that aha moment quicker. And I, I totally agree with you. Joel, thanks so much for your time today and talking to us about your experience and what's going on in Wyoming. I found it really enlightening. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate your time.